This hour is being brought to you by CarX Entire and Auto. Online at CarX.com. Mike Rankin, let's go. Make me a bicycle clown. All right, you people have been waiting for it, waiting for it. So we'll just get out of the way, let you do it. Space drop! Welcome in to the Bernstein at Home Show. Dan is off. He started his weekend because he had an appointment that he couldn't move. So he is not here for the next two hours. I, on the other hand, am. I am Lawrence Holmes. And if you're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago 67 The Score, you're like, wait, that doesn't look like the Score Studios. I am not in the Score Studios. I've been out in Phoenix the last week doing shows. And today I am working out of the Cronkite School at Arizona State University. My good friend and former NBC Sports Chicago anchor Gail Fisher is one of the people who runs the sports department here. And she's like, do you want to just come and check everything out and hang out here? And I was like, hell yeah. So I am doing the show from here. That's what you'll see if you're on Twitch. Like I'm in one of their fabulous edit bays. I'm getting quite the education as an educator on what is possible and what things can look like. So twitch.tv slash Chicago 670, the score. I'm very excited to hang out. You'll hear from from my guy Kevin Fishbane. Jack Silverstein will be on the show as well. But we're going to start things off with our guy Joe Ostrowski. And our segment with Joe is brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Please bet responsibly. Hi, Joseph. We're not going to do Ask Herb, are we? No, I don't, okay, we don't have, I don't have enough show. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I don't have enough show. If it were a four-hour Dan missing formation. No, you wouldn't. Then, no, 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 I you probably, wouldn't. No, no, I probably would. <laughs> I probably wouldn't bring That's back a bad Ask idea. Herb. Yeah. It's probably a terrible idea <laughs> at this point because he's very emboldened in his opinions now. So Yeah, that wasn't the case before. Right, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, he, he's either 100% right or 100% wrong about everything, and that's mm-hmm. why we love him. All right, Joe, this is a fun weekend. I love yeah. that this weekend allows for us to do everything that we need to do in the morning, and then we get to the fun stuff. So when let, let's go game by game. When you mm-hmm. start thinking about Jags and, and KC, what comes to mind? Well, it has the largest point spread and the largest total of the weekend. Uh, We're up to nine. It was sitting at Chiefs favored by eight and a half much of the week. Now we're at nine, and the total is 53. The first thing you have to look at, and and I wouldn't say to put too much on it because things have certainly changed, but when a team matches up in the regular season, you want to take a look at how that that game went, and it was before the Jaguars' six-game winning streak, so you want to keep that in mind. But these two teams faced off in Week 10. The Chiefs lost the turnover battle 3-0. 3-0, Jaguars recovered an onside kick. So, oh, that had to be a tight game. Chiefs still won by double digits. Wow. Still won by double digits with all of that going against them. Andy Reid off of the bye. We all know extra time to prepare. Reid's a killer, right? Off the bye in his career, 28-6 straight up. 21 and 13 against the spread. But in this situation on the other side, I think we all would agree, especially uh, after last week, and the guy has a ring, that Doug Peterson's as good as, it co- as, as they come. And he's going to be as aggressive as he needs to be. And that'll be 
Uh, I expect that to be the case on Saturday afternoon. Now, during the six-game winning streak, the Jaguars have covered in five of those six games. Uh, Doug Peterson has been an underdog in the playoffs six times. He is 6-0 and against wow. the spread in those six games. Uh, wow. Lawrence, here's the thing I can't get past. Just the matchup. We have on the KC side the best passing offense going against Jacksonville, one of the worst passing defenses. And I expect KC to come out with a strong start. So I'm looking at first quarter, first half. You can get the first quarter at uh, Chiefs minus two and a half, or you can do the first half at minus five and a half. Uh, the, the eight and a half, nine, we, we've seen that a ton of times over the last couple of years where, where they just get inflated with Reed and Mahomes in Arrowhead, and they end up not covering the number due to some sort of a back backdoor touchdown at the very end, which, which could certainly happen with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I like Kansas City to win close but i like them early in the game uh, a funky i think dies tomorrow trevor lawrence 37 and 0 in his career on saturdays huh <laughs> it's weird huh. but weird. it's clemson 32 and 0 and uh 2 and 0 in the nfl 3 and 0 in high school <laughs> so so joe last year you were one of the people who bet the chiefs at the end of their game with Buffalo, what did oh, yeah. you get them? Plus twenty one hundred. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Did you bet Jags at halftime last week? Absolutely not. Watching okay. that game, I never felt well, Jacksonville was in that game. And and when you see the the number of like records that were set, you lost the turnover battle five nothing, <laughs> and you still lost the damn game. I mean, rather you won the turnover battle and Staley. How about Staley, man? Dude. Puffy chested? Get out of here. I'm you... shocked that he still has a job. Well, you got a cheap owner, right? I mean, that's, that's what it is. We heard that, and so now, uh, yeah, they get rid of the, the OC, Lombardi. He's the scapegoat. Okay, fine. But, yeah, get out of here with that. Was, oh, okay, so I want to ask you a bigger question about that. Sure. What is it that you look for to go out on a limb like you did with KC and Buffalo? Because we do have a friend who hit this for plus fourteen hundred? Mm-hmm. Little small bet, but still plus fourteen hundred did very well for themselves. So, so when you're deciding, hey, uh, this team's down, I'm going to to take all this this crazy juice, and I'm gonna put money on it. What are you looking for before you make that bet? It, it's like it is with any bet that has longer odds like that. In that situation, you're talking about a 20 to 1 bet. The example you gave, 14 to 1. Um, I know at one sports book, at its peak, it was 100 to 1 for the Jaguars to win the game. You're just looking for upside. Like, it, you could do stuff like the highest scoring team for the weekend, divisional round of the eight, the lowest scoring team. So I, I'm just looking for upside. Naturally, Cincinnati, you can get value on them to be the highest-scoring team. Why? Well, for them to be the highest-scoring team, obviously they have to win, right? That's part of it, and they're five-and-a-half to six-point underdogs. So you're getting value there. I, I get Joe Burrow, and I just have to be the highest-scoring team among these four games with Chase and Higgins on the, on the outside. Uh, same thing with Dallas. They're a long shot because they're an underdog on the road, and Dak has been inconsistent this season. I'm just looking for that upside play. Mahomes, best quarterback in the world. That's all that was. And the way that game was going, I'm like, ah, you know what? He just needs two. He just needs like a couple plays, and uh, and he could pull this off. And that's it, it was a shot in the dark, but you need to take some of those because uh, 
Scared money. Don't make money. You're damn right, Joe. <laughs> Giants, Giants at Eagles. Brian Dable's done an incredible job with, with Danny Dimes and the mm-hmm. way that that offense functions. How worried are, is the betting public about Jalen Hurts' shoulder? Uh, they're concerned. That's the hesitation there. And the big reason is because when we saw Hertz return in week 18 in this exact matchup, he was not the same quarterback, meaning they were clearly protecting his shoulder. And it wasn't, oh, there's nothing on the line. They're just getting him a few reps. The number one seed, the buy was on the line. And they still were not calling the designed runs that they were earlier in the season, much of the year when he was an MVP contender. So there is that concern. I will say the Eagles took him off the injury report completely all of this week. And Lane Johnson, you should take a look at the discrepancy when he's on the field versus when he's off of the field. He's healthy. He's been practicing in full. Josh Sweat is good to go. He was a concern. 11 sacks this year. Their nickelback, Avante Maddox, is out. So, but Gardner Johnson is making his return. So a lot of, uh, a lot of Eagles backers are not as concerned about that. I mean, it's remarkable. It's so much of the focus on the Eagles team this year has been about Jalen Hurts and just the turnaround and Sirianni, is he going to be coach of the year? Or are they going to get the one? All that's fair. I feel like as a whole, we don't talk about how good this defense is. They had 70 sacks this season. Mm. 70 sacks. I know we have the extra game, but that is third most in a season in NFL history. The most was the 84 Bears with 72 and this team had 70. Their secondary is terrific. I know they're missing Maddox, but I think they're going to be all right. The corners are outstanding. And where are the weapons on the Giants' side? I, I know we get used to questioning the Giants offensively. Dayball finds a way to pull it off. And Daniel Jones is terrific on the road. For some reason, he's he's been a better quarterback early on in his career throughout. 25 games on the road, and he's 18-7 and seven against the spread. As a road underdog... He's 17 and five against the spread, hitting at 77 uh, percent. It's uh, it's interesting. This is the uh, the playoff matchup that has two starting quarterbacks with the most combined rushing yards in a season that we've ever seen, with Daniel Jones and Jalen Hurts. Uh, this is actually my favorite side. If I'm picking a side here between teams of any game, I think the Eagles stomp them. I really do. And I think it's going to be closer to what we saw in week 14. Now, I'm banking on the health of this team, including Jalen Hurts. Week 14, the Eagles won 48-22. to They ran for 253 yards. Sanders was phenomenal. Uh, Hurts was terrific. He had 77 rushing yards. We'll see if that Hurts is out there. Uh, popular prop bet that's out there this week. Boston Scott is a giant killer. It's strange. He is. He has 18 career touchdowns. Ten of them are against the Giants. Wow. And he's about 4-1 to one for any time touchdown. So a lot of people are going to jump on that bet. I understand why. I, I think the run stops here for the Giants and, and the Eagles win. Uh, based on the, uh, the two most popular, popular teaser legs of the week are the games we just talked about, Lawrence. Every uh, better is holding an Eagles teaser, which is minus 1.5 if you tease that down. And Kansas City, which is minus two and a half. Everybody's holding that. So I'm just looking at it, obviously, and thinking, all right, how does that go wrong? Because uh, that, that's going to be the most popular play of the week. 
Joe Ostrowski joining us here on The Score. You can check him out on BetQL Daily. You can also check him out on Early Odds. Before I ask you about the Sunday game, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's now kind of floated out there, something that we discussed last week when you were on the show, and Pro Football Talk is talking about it too. The NFL is maybe starting to think about perhaps neutral site conference championship games going forward. What do you think about that? Hmm. So it's interesting. A couple years after taking away one of the buys, adding a playoff spot in each conference, now now you're going to hurt the teams that dominate even more. Now you're leaning into more of the parity, which we already have in this sport. Look year to year. Go go look at last year, the list of playoff teams versus this year. And you have that swap of usually around half the teams changing every single season. What's the incentive to be great then? What is it? I think it's worth noting that last week, and it's a sample size of one weekend, that in the wild card round, how'd those road teams do? Pretty good. There were six six uh, road teams. They go 6-0 and in the first half against the spread. They all were just hanging around in these games. We had some competitive matchups, a couple beginning and the end, uh, that were that were non-competitive. But uh, do, do you really need to take a step further? I don't know. I don't like it. I think about, you know, there's not much history of it, of the Bears participating in the NFC Championship in our lifetimes. But aren't those iconic moments at Soldier Field when – you had the Bears make the Super Bowl, and and I think of when we were much younger, just those moments of the snow coming down and the Bears winning, realizing in front of their fans that they've made the Super Bowl. Brian I, Urlacher I, presenting Virginia McCaskey you know, with the yes. Hallis Trophy as the snow's coming down at Soldier Field. At Soldier Field. Field. I, I would hate to remove that. I, I don't like that. At, I don't like that aspect of it, but I think the idea would be that um, – all right, we're going to plant the Super Bowl. We're going to own this city for two to three weeks. I don't know if they would keep the buy in that situation. But the media, the sports world is going to be there hanging out for nearly a month. And uh, we are going to be the center of everything that's being discussed. But it would just it'd make it kind of lame, right? As far as a crowd perspective, more like college football. Yeah, very much so. It's something to keep an eye on. What's interesting about Bengals-Bills? Bengals offensive line. Number one story in this matchup. No question about it. They have lost three starting offensive linemen. They've lost one in three consecutive weeks. So a lot of concern there. Right tackle, uh, Lyle Collins. Last week, it was Jonah Williams. He's out. Alex Kappa a couple weeks ago, their, their guard, and he was officially announced out about an hour ago. So no surprise there. I would counter with this for all the concern about the Bengals' offensive line. How was Joe Burrow's offensive line last year when he made it all the way to the Super Bowl? It, I mean, he was getting sacked like nine times a game, and he was <laughs> he still going killed. out there and getting it done. And the left tackle, Jonah Williams, who was injured as an injured kneecap, injured last week, he's given up 13 sacks this year, most of anybody in the NFL. So how much of a downgrade are we talking about? So, I mean, that, that's my counter as far as that one goes. Josh Allen just keeps hurting himself. They, they should have destroyed the Dolphins. When you look at the box score, their defense gave up 3.3 yards per play to Miami. They Joe, should, he's, he's still reckless. Very much so. We saw it against the Bears. Bad defense. Two interceptions. Mm-hmm. We saw it recently against the Vikings. Bad defense. Two more interceptions. So he, he's finding a way to keep these games close when they shouldn't be. If you look at just the yardage, 
They should have beaten Miami by 16, 17 points, and it ends up being a field goal game. Uh, Bills are not blowing teams out this year. That's what they did a year ago. The number is five and a half at most spots. It wouldn't surprise me if this goes to six. And we're talking about Joey B. When he's facing teams that are above 500, he's 14 and two straight up. For, he always rises to the big moment. He still has those weapons on the, uh, on the outside. The last eight times, the last eight times the Bengals have been an underdog, they've covered. You're giving me five and a half, six points with Joey B? I, I've got to take the Bengals. You, are you a believer in Brock Purdy? I'm holding out. I'm like the only one, I think. No, I mean, it's it's fair. I mean, I especially with the step up in competition again this week, going up against the Cowboys, it's fair to wonder whether or not what you've seen over the last six weeks is, is for real. Is, is Shanahan doing an incredible job of coaching, or is he going to turn back into a pumpkin this weekend? I feel like this is the last one. This is the last question that needs to be answered, right? Now, there will be some if they make the run to the Super Bowl or if they make it to the NFC Championship next weekend that would say, oh, well, this is a different stage. This is different. Eh, there'll be a little bit of that. But I view this as it. And here's why. First off, you have to look at the defense. The numbers have been phenomenal. But he faced Seattle twice, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And the same thing with Arizona, Vegas. Washington's great against the run. They're terrible against the pass. Uh, same thing with Miami. He faced them in his first start. So he's faced a string of bad defenses. Now, I don't want to take anything away from him, but it sounds like I am by saying that everything around him is perfect. They have not lost the game since Christian McCaffrey joined the team. You They're 11-0. It's kind of amazing about the 49ers because we usually – this is a turn that we ordinarily give for basketball. Yeah. They play positionless football because you can line up McCaffrey or Kittle – or use check or Debo wherever, like mm -hmm. like the, the formation. You'd be like, oh, okay, well, wait a minute. Christian McCaffrey is split out wide on one side, and Debo is split out wide on the other, and and Kittle's in the backfield, and they can reverse all of that stuff. It must be a nightmare to try and plan for them because of that. And you're not even talking about some other guys, some guys that are viewed as role players that can also pop, like Ayuk. He's For a, sure. Would he be the number one here at the end of the year? Probably. Well, the only thing that scares me about Ayuk, and I've loved him since he was here at Arizona State. Like He's a yeah. really explosive, fun player, but he's only seeing single defenses. Right. Like They can't double everybody, so, so he gets an opportunity to exploit that he's going to be on like the third corner, and he makes big plays partially because of it. Here's the other the other concern here, and and this could be answered this weekend. Not only Purdy against the soft defenses. Look at the quarterbacks that they've beaten during this winning streak. It will start with the most recent games. Okay, Geno, he's had a much better year, but we don't put him in you know top top ten, top twelve uh, to that level. Before that. Blau, Stidham, Wenson Heineke, it was Geno, it's this Brady, it's Dalton, it's McCoy. These are the quarterbacks they've beaten during this winning streak. That's, so that's true. Wh that's why I'm holding out a little bit. And if we get the good Dak, now Dak has come under a ton of criticism because of the turnovers this year, and that's certainly fair. He didn't have any last week. But if you get the good, uh, this Cowboys team can beat anybody. 
They can when they're right. They beat the Bengals this year. They beat the Giants twice. They went up to Minnesota when people were praising them, and they beat them 40-3. to So they can play with anybody. It's just a matter of getting that pressure. Purdy's going to see some pressure that he has not seen all year. I'm surprised at the line. Lawrence, I thought it was going to be closer to six. We're, we're bouncing between three and a half and four, and I understand why. I had the toughest time of the four games with this one picking aside. I'm going to go Cowboys to cover, but uh, I, this is going to be the best game. Let's put it this way. I would not be shocked if the Cowboys win. And it is the shortest point spread, so they are the most likely winner of the weekend. But whatever the result is, we should have a uh, terrific NFC championship. Maybe we get, we get a, another NFC East game. And it is possible you get Cowboys-Eagles uh, next week after it's Eagles-Giants uh, this week. That would be a lot of fun. Joe, early odds on super early again, 6 a.m.? Oh, no, 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 no. Later. Are you back? If you guys, yeah, if you're running around, get some errands done before the Saturday games. No, even further than that. I'm at 11. Oh, sweet. <laughs> 11 like a, like a normal time. Yeah, like a... Yeah, exactly. People running kids to basketball, wrestling, all that stuff. Uh, check me out. 11 a.m. Uh, to noon tomorrow right here on The Score. What do you got going on? Uh, Sam Panianovich is going to drop by. We'll be breaking chicken down dinner. all his games. Yeah, chicken dinner reunion a little bit. Jim Miller always hangs out, talks some props, more betting angles on uh, these four matchups, which you can hear all of them right here on Sports Radio 670, The Score. Very well done. Joe, thanks for moving back so that the two of us could hang out in this segment. Have a great weekend and continue to do a kick-ass job on BetQL Daily. Thank you, Lawrence. Uh, the mock drafts are coming out. Daniel Jeremiah just dropped his. He said Jalen Carter, number one. But, you know, the Bears would love to trade out something, something we all know. Oh, I didn't even mention because I forgot because Dan was in here. He said, watch out for Will Levis last week. He was 20 to 1 yeah, when we like did this moved hit. The market. And then I check on Friday night, and Will <laughs> Levis is the third favorite behind the other two quarterbacks. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Dan, yeah, Dan is out here moving the market, but he's right. Like a lot. Will Levis is exactly the type of quarterback that front offices will fall in love with mm -hmm. and move heaven and earth to try and get. And that's I suspect that that's exactly what they'll do. And and that's good for the Bears, you know. Like it, it's good for the Bears to 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 pit the Colts against the Texans since they're in the same division. I I think that the Ryan Poles has got some opportunities to make this team better quickly. He's a sharp, really. Moving I, who markets. Knew? I didn't who know. knew? Who knew that Dan was out here moving markets without placing any bets? It's, <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Joe, have a wonderful weekend. Do the same. Thanks, Lawrence. That is Joe Ostrowski. And obviously, like, hearing that, there's no wonder why he's my favorite. And I don't even care that I said that he's my favorite. Um, when we come back, we are going to talk some White Sox. One of my other favorites, Mike Rankin. Mike Rankin has been dropping, like, White Sox stuff into my inbox. He's like, hey, what about this? What about this? So you know what? We'll do a little bit of White Sox. So if you're a White Sox fan that's been sitting there going, are you guys going to talk about the White Sox? We are. We'll do that next here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. And 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Go White Sox. So when I'm on remote doing a show, 
the communication is a little bit different. I'm hanging out at the Cronkite School at Arizona State University during the show today. Thanks to everyone here. Our good friend Gail Fisher set all this up, and we really appreciate that. You can see the edit room that I'm in here at ASU if you go to Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 the score. So before I leave the place that I'm staying at, before I leave the Airbnb, I flood Mike Rankin with, I need this sound and this sound, and we should maybe talk about this, and we might talk about this at some point. So I want to hear this, 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 this. So I give him a list of things that he needs to do. Or nearly when I'm in the studio, I'm running into his studio going, oh yeah, Mike, I forgot about this. Let's do this and this crazy thing and blah, 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 blah. And Mike's like, okay, crazy. Yeah, we'll just get all of this stuff done. But the reverse also happens. Where if there's really good content, especially White Sox content, Mike's like, we should do this and this. And what about this? Did you see this? I saw this. Did you see this? And so he has been flooding the inbox while the show has been going on with White Sox content. But as per usual, he's right about us sharing it with the people. Yesterday on the show, Dan and I were talking about Lucas Giolito because there was that video out of him pitching in six seconds. You can't really tell a lot. But Mike went into a really good breakdown of what he's seeing mechanically. But apparently, Lucas wanted to talk about a lot of other stuff. This is courtesy of MLB Network. And for those of you who are wondering, did Lucas Giolito lose weight? He gave an answer. Last season, I was I was really out of sync for, for most of the year. And so when I got home for the offseason, it was uh, very important that, you know, we kind of identified like the issues where I was firing incorrectly in my uh, delivery and got on a nice uh, plyo ball program. Um, got a shout out, uh, Ryan Chapman, Chapman Baseball Co- Compound down in Irvine. Working out there has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, really just kind of getting things back in sync, getting like the whole chain from ground up, firing everything at the the right times, getting my rotation back with throwing. And it's been uh, some really, really good work. I'm looking forward to the season. You talked at length about that you put on, I think, 20 pounds going in the last offseason to try to create a little bit more strength, stamina uh, through the course of a long season. Did you stay with that approach this offseason or did you lean back up to where you were prior to that? Yeah, that was a, a bit of an experiment that might have gone wrong uh, last <laughs> last offseason. Uh, I actually I got really big. I felt really strong coming into spring, but my body just did not hold up great uh, with all that extra weight. So this offseason, uh, the focus in the gym and nutrition wise, it's been all about uh, getting lean back to like a very comfortable weight for me and uh, all about explosiveness, strength, stability, um, mobility as well. Uh, For me being a big guy, it's really important to be athletic so I can repeat my delivery. So that's been the main focus and I'm back down to a good weight. All right, good. I like hearing that. I also like that him talking about like the flexibility of it, but it was one of those things when we all saw him, we're like, oh, Lucas, this isn't the way. Uh, I understood what it, it was that he was trying to do, but he clearly wasn't the same pitcher. So Mike Rankin, Mr. Future Sox, do you think that it played a significant role in why we didn't see the best version of Lucas last year? I think so. I think it took away from the fluidity in his delivery, and you heard it a little bit in that clip. He wasn't getting the same release point, or maybe when he's landing on his front foot, it's not the same. So there's inconsistency, and you know he dealt with injury at the start of the season, had COVID, and then had a really 
bad flu that followed. So it was wonky for him all year, and he was trying to make adjustments in season. And as a major league pitcher, that's almost impossible when you're trying to have success against the best in the world. So I think with a full off season where he's got nothing to worry about outside of trying to fix what was plaguing him last year, and he's healthy, it sets him up for a resurgent 2023. Okay, what else is in the bag of White Sox stuff? Oh, man, some Lance Lynn, right? And it also kind of plays to what I just said about Giolito's offseason. He's adding a new pitch, right? Lynn is healthy, and he's well. he worked on a new pitch in September last season, which is encouraging. We see him throw a slider now, and I think he's going to add that to his repertoire. You talk about the discrepancy in his pitch mix, fastball, cutter, and now if you incorporate a slider, it's fastball slider with more of like a two to eight movement and see you think a curveball 12-6 this slider sweeps away from right-handed hitters the curveball disappears straight down he didn't really throw that a lot but if he's mixing in multiple breaking pitches because he doesn't throw a change up Lance Lynn almost never throws his change up and he gets hit hard when he does so I'm kind of like putting that on the back burner but if he's off if he's like supplanting that pitch the bad change up for a really good slider that had a lot of success last year in a small sample like hitters only hit 100 against him, um, batting average. Yeah, I think three hits and in, in 100 at-bats or something like that, something crazy, um, or in 100 offerings. It was it was a really good stat, a telling stat, that the slider had success in September. So if he has an offseason to work on it, he's healthy, maybe shed a, a few pounds, and he's able to you know not worry about the knee, then again, those are two core pieces of the rotation that need to be healthy all year, that need to essentially carry this team because they'll win with pitching if Cease, Giolito, and whatever you get from Kopech as well as Lynn are there for you. I'm looking forward to Lance Lynn getting to Camelback Ranch in three weeks because I'd love to know, like, like I'd love to hear him talk about what it's like to add a pitch at this point in his career. All that, the, all that pitching, all of the the way that he's able to shape and frame fastballs. Like he's really, he's essentially throwing the same pitch three or four different ways. But hearing him discuss like what goes into adding another pitch at this point in your career, and whether it's an easy thing or a difficult thing, I'm I'm very much looking forward to him discussing that with him throughout spring training because it's a very cool thing. And I, I agree with you, Mike. Like I, I think if he adds that, it makes him – I mean, he's. it makes him a little less predictable. Not that even if you were trying to square up one of the four fastballs that he throws, that, that his history tells you that you're still going to struggle with it. But adding a slider to it that probably will look like one of his fastballs – I think that that is top notch. Okay, one more thing. Quickly, Lawrence, let me let me interject about one thing. Adding okay. a new pitch for Lynn in this scenario is easier because it works off his cutter. So it's essentially the same grip. He's just taking a little bit more off of his cutter that offers more of a sweeping motion than a hard cutter that jams left-handed hitters sometimes. So the grip is essentially working the same and the action is the same. The arm action, though, is what will fool hitters and it'll just disappear so that's that's all and I think that helps with a pitcher trying to incorporate a new pitch if if you're essentially throwing it and you just take a little bit off then it's easier to implement right away looking at the giveaways that the White Sox have this year there's some pretty cool ones 
April 15th is the, the 1993 AL West Championship crew neck. I'm interested in that. There's an Aloy Jimenez high mom talking bobblehead, which is cool, on May 13th. I'm, I think that this bucket hat is what I want, though. I like it. It's it's got the it's got a little blue and, and red White Sox logo with the pinwheels, and I I can actually wear a bucket hat, so I'm down with that. The basketball jersey I, I was having a discussion on Twitter the other day about how normies should never wear basketball jerseys. Only basketball players should wear basketball jerseys. But they're going to do a hockey jersey and a, a White Sox football jersey because they already do the soccer one. So there's some cool giveaways this year, but that June 3rd, I think I will be at the ballpark or maybe I'll call a friend who might be able to get me one of these. The, the bucket hat, that's all me right there. First so 10,000 fans, man. You better get there early. Get there early for bucket hat night. And look at that. We did a whole segment about the White Sox and we didn't even get sad. That's a good thing. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Jack Silverstein, Chicago sports historian, is going to join me. I'm going to ask about the renaissance that we've seen with the Bears. And Jack's really good about making the cases for players to go to the Hall of Fame. You'll want to hear his case for Devin Hester. It's next here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I came here to win championships, to win the NFC North, to win the NFC, to win the Super Bowl, to help shepherd and lead a stadium development project, to embrace our alumni, to embrace our history and tradition, and to embrace the absolutely incredible Chicago Bear fans. The Bears have a new president and CEO. His name is Kevin Warren, and we're going to talk a little bit about him and some of the other things surrounding the hire of Kevin Warren here on The Score. I'm Lawrence. Dan had some stuff that he needs to do, so I'm here with you, just me hanging out with the peeps until 2 o'clock today. I had to hit up my man Jack because uh, I I write a column for the Sun-Times, and I name-checked Jack in the column because I felt like he was really essential to giving context and and maybe being a catalyst for change over at the Bears. And I'll let him kind of explain that. But but we, we had to get him on the show, and he was nice enough to join me. He's also on Twitch, so you can see the crazy hair. Twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Jack Silverstein now joining me here. What's up, dude? What's up, buddy? Much calmer hair than a few months ago. Yeah, uh, when we saw you, yes, as softball, it was looking. I I mean, I like it either way, man. I feel like if you, I wish I could still do that, you know. Like I wish I could go crazy with the hair. So while you can, I feel like people. While you can, you should do it. You should do it. And and as uh, and I've said to a few people, uh, I'm very excited. I've got some some grays or silvers coming in here, which means if all goes according to plan, I'm going to age into Doc Brown. Oh, that's right. That's actually a perfect comp it. for you. Yes, yeah. you're. You're going. We'll find out whether or not you've got any plutonium. Um, we'll find out. Yeah. So, tune so in ne- tune in next week. Take us back. Take us back to Bears 100, and yeah. take us back to the unveiling of the throwback uniforms. 
So that was the summer of 2019. It was, I would say, for the purposes of the team's progression, the absolute worst time that we could happen to have our 100th year celebration because we were coming off the double doink and it like everything was blown up into like we got this you know we got it we're gonna win and championships and everybody on stage and I don't know it just it felt like a lot but while that was happening the big news break was the new throwbacks that they would be wearing uh twice in 2019 and they were the 1936 throwbacks which were very similar to jerseys they wore throughout the 1930s, with the notable exception of the four soldier stripes, alternating colors, uh, navy and orange, on each shoulder. And that is what made them stand out. They were described at the time as psychedelic stripes that they thought um, would catch the eyes of fans uh, at Wrigley Field in 1936. So they had Kyle Fuller and Tariq Cohen debut them and fashion them, you know, walk out and introduce them as you do with jerseys. Right around this time was the birthday of Joe Lillard. Joe Lillard was one of the great backs or could have been one of the great backs of the 30s. He spent the 1933 season uh, on the Chicago Cardinals. And he and a tackle named Ray Kemp had the distinction of being the final black players in the NFL before 1946, before this 12-year ban on black players. And that was a piece of history that I knew about, but it was, like, smudged. Like, I grew up with the the 75 Seasons tape that NFL Films put out in 1994, and they kind of, like, made mention of it. But you always hear it more from the Kenny Washington side and Woody Mm -hmm. Strode. You hear it from the side of, like, these are the guys who – I don't like break the color line. It sounds like breaking the four minute mile. They yeah, like, it's it's like here's Fritz Pollard. Like it's 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 that sort of thing. Yeah, but I don't like that phrasing because you should put the emphasis on the actor. There, there were people who kept them out. They didn't like break a line. So you always hear about it from that end. But I had never heard of Joe Lillard. I had ne- or Ray Kemp. I had never heard about the players who were removed in order for it to begin. Yeah, they mentioned Fritz Pollard in 75 seasons. And it's like, Fritz Pollard in 1920 and 1921, and then dot, 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 Kenny Washington. So I started reading on Joe Lillard, and because I was thinking about the 1936 jerseys and because George McCaskey made such a big deal repeatedly about these are from this one year. Like, we went 9-3 and three in this one year, and it was all this focus on this one year. And I just was thinking about it, and I said, well, that, those were probably the first two black players to wear the jerseys. And then I started thinking about, you know, George Hallis' role in the NFL at that point and how I had always heard the story of NFL segregation, that it was always just placed upon George Preston Marshall, who was only in his second year as an owner, certainly the leader, um, but wouldn't have been able to, like, overtake everyone if they weren't going along. And so that's where I was thinking about well, George Hallis. He, he was the founding member of the league. He was running the rules committee. He basically told, you know, he helped hire their, uh, their commissioners. He told people what to do, other owners, commissioner of the league. So he had to be involved in this in a pretty heavy way. And that's where that story 
started taking root. So it was it was uh, June and I didn't publish until the last week of August because it was just a lot of like covering my bases and figuring out yeah. what exactly was the story here. And and so you do that, and this is kind of an embarrassing moment for the Bears when they offer these jerseys up and you were right. Like these are the, the players modeling the uniforms of the first black players to wear them. What happened after you did your story on it? So we published the story of Windy City Gridiron on August 28th. About a week later, I got a DM from Santita Jackson who reached out because Reverend Jackson had found the story. And he invited me onto, and Santita, uh, his producer, co-host, and his daughter, they invited me onto Reverend Jackson's show. I think it was September 7th. It was a Sunday morning. And one of the other guests on that show was Jim Rose. And Jim, in those conversations, he didn't know as much about this either. So he was, it was, you know, he was catching up on it as well. And he said, you know, I'm going to bring this into Hallis Hall. Now, I don't know what happened from there. I was never able to talk to Jim. I never heard it from George McCaskey's side. So I don't know exactly what happened. But somehow, through that, you know, through those then three weeks before we wore them uh, on the Sunday against Minnesota, somehow it became clear that maybe this was a big story or something. You know, honestly, I don't really know. George decided to bring it to the players. And he said, here's what happened. Here's what these jerseys are. And then they put together their video. The, the, yeah, the, five, the, the, the social justice committee plus George McCaskey. And when it came time in the video to actually say what the team had done in the 30s and that they'd participated in this ban in segregation, to George's credit, he said that part of the video. I mean, he didn't leave it to Trubisky or Akeem Hicks or Trevathan or Chase Daniel or um, Trey Burton. He said it. And I was asleep on the couch in between putting the kids to bed and doing dishes. And you texted me and Lester Wilfong, my editor from Windy City Gridiron, texted me and said, look, look at this. Like, have you seen this? I had not seen it. So something in there happened. But, you know, what stands out to me is that there wasn't really like that level of heat. I mean, what brought heat to the story was George doing the video. That's what made it something that people couldn't ignore. You know, the Tribune and sometimes covered it. The next day or two days later, I did interviews with Sports Illustrated, um, ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain. I did an interview with BBC. I mean, it went national. It went global. And obviously, it went to the CBS broadcast. But really, that was George. He, you know, I mean, he made that happen. They weren't reporting on my story. They weren't reporting on the controversy. They were reporting on the video. So, Jack, like to, to kind of like bring, put a bow on this. What does it say to you that three years ago we have this really embarrassing moment for the Bears, and now we look up at the beginning of the week and Kevin Warren is introduced as the president and CEO? It seems like a seismic change from where we were with the Bears in 2019. Yeah, I think it is, and I was thinking that through, and I've been putting together a timeline, and it's a timeline that I had in some some degree already put together, and and I just wanted to – expand on it. And I, I think what we've seen here, and this is, there's going to be a lot of speculation here from me, and I've got a interview request out to George McCaskey, and I hope to speak with him. But to me, what, I, what it looks like is maybe seven steps or six steps and then an outcome. I think you've got someone who is interested 
in this kind of progress. You you look at Tanisha Wade, who was involved in the hiring of Kevin Warren, and Liz Geist, who was involved in the hiring of Kevin Warren. Tanisha Wade, they hired in 2013, Liz Geist in 2014. They also hired Champ Kelly in 2015. I think there was an awakening in 2016 and 2017 with Colin Kaepernick's national anthem protest. And then when President Trump made his big statement, the reporting at the time, and I had to go back to refresh myself on this, was that uh, John Fox and George McCaskey called players in at the hotel. They were getting ready to play Pittsburgh the next day and spoke to everybody and said, you know, we've got your back, whatever it is that you want to do, but we want to do it as a team. Somewhere in there, Sam Macho popped up because Prince of Mukamara talked about we weren't sure what we were going to do. Sam Macho said the plan is to link arms, and we all went and did that. So then somewhere in there, Sam Macho and George McCaskey then embarked upon this, I don't know, tour of experiences. So over Martin Luther King weekend in 2018, they were at a church they were at a prison in Louisiana in March of 2018. They did a police ride along. So there was some kind of education and conversation. And George McCaskey gave an interview and he talked about that. So I think maybe listening and then responding genuinely when something didn't go right or when someone, you know, expressed something, because I think they just didn't think it all the way through with the jerseys. Mm-hmm. I think because they had the centennial scrapbook that came out that summer that uh, Don Pearson and Dan Pompey wrote and the, the ban and the, and sort of like a light allusion to George Alice's participation in it is in the book. So I just don't think he thought it all the way through, like, and made those connections of saying, gosh, we've got the story in the book. We know this happened. Now we're going to put out throwbacks from 1936 going to be the first ever throwback that we've had that was tied to one specific season not an era not like these are the 1940s jerseys these are the 1920s jerseys what is it going to say if people start to ask or think about 1936 you know i just don't think he thought it through all the way and i think that if presented with a similar scenario today whatever that would be i I suspect he would he then built structures 2018 to 2021 and again let's go back to those three people I mentioned, he promoted Kelly, Champ Kelly in 2017. He promoted uh, Geist and Tanisha Wade in the summer of 2021. And, and they drafted Fields in April. So they drafted Fields in April of 21. They promoted Liz Geist in July of 21. They hired their first ever female scout, Ashton Washington, in August of 21. They promoted Tanisha Wade in September of 21. And then in January of 22, they put Wade and Lamar Campbell on the committee to look into a new general manager and new head coach. So like, and then they, then they end up hiring Ryan Poles, like building exactly. that structure, and then they build one out where they end up with Kevin Warren being their president. Jack, I could talk, you know, man, because we have these conversations. Like, I could talk to you forever, but I'm up against the break. I got, I got, I got 30 seconds. Okay. Make Devin Hester's Hall of Fame case. He was just voted a 
top 10 finalist in this first year of eligibility. His Hall of Fame case is done. He's going to be in in the next two years. The person Bears fans have to think about is Lance Briggs. He's the person who's in real trouble. He's got 10 linebackers now ahead of him who are either on the ballot or going to be upcoming, you know, Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley. You want to talk about someone, you want to spend your time promoting someone and thinking about how to change people's mindset on someone. Lance Briggs, even coming up on just five years of eligibility, is in real trouble, and I wouldn't ordinarily say that. Jack, I love you, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for jumping on the show. Thanks for having me, Lawrence. Appreciate it. Chicago sports historian Jack Silverstein. You should follow him on every modality at Read Jack. The dude is the absolute truth. You want to learn from someone who cares and loves Chicago sports? He's the man in that regard. We need to take a timeout. We'll ask Kevin Fishbane what this week was like at Hallis Hall. We will do that next here on The Score.